Hey everybody, James Briarton in Charlotte. A quick note before we get to this week's episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Between you and I, and I think you already know this, the podcast audience member is my favorite audience member. But every so often, we book a guest and bring on a great conversation that truly needs a visual. And 90% of our conversation this week with our guest, Mike Olbinski, storm photographer, is talking about his tactics, his career, his lessons learned, his equipment. But every so often, you'll hear us referencing an image. And I want to let you know that if you want to actually see that image, you can check out Mike's photos online or see the actual pictures inside our show by checking out the Carolina Weather Group on YouTube. I don't normally try to push you from the podcast onto YouTube, especially if you're driving. Please don't do that while you're driving. But if you want to see the pictures, they are online. And special thanks for Mike sharing his photos with us. Okay, on to this week's episode. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. I'm Ricky Matthews. It is the December 11th edition of the Carolina Weather Group. Hard to believe we are already in December. We're about to wrap up 2019 and quickly head into 2020. It has uh, been a year that's flown by. I already had a couple crazy weather events in North Carolina during the 2019 season, and we may have a few more as we round out 2020. We'll talk more about the weather and uh, what may happen in the next couple of weeks in a little bit later in the show, but we want to jump right into our interview tonight. Welcome in Mike Obinski, who is a, a pretty famous photographer and videographer. You may have seen some of his work over the years, shared on social media. Uh, he's been on, on some television shows and weather channel before. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. And, and, and so tell everyone where you're at. You don't have to go into specifics, but just where are you based out of? I'm based out of Phoenix, Arizona, born and raised here, so 44 years, and uh, I doubt I'll ever leave. <laughs> and how did the whole photography, videography, how did you get into to doing work like this? Um, it was kind of, uh, I think, chasing a passion that I didn't really know I had at the time, but I've been doing it for about a, 10, 11 years now. Um, I grew up here, you know, it's the desert, it's dry, it's kind of hot all the time, and so in the summers, we, we have this monsoon and we get these great thunderstorms, and they'll blow through, and they'll go from like 105 down to 75, you know, massive downpours, lightning, and they're always like a welcome sight, a welcome thing to happen, because it's just, we don't get a lot of rain, and my dad was fascinated with storms, and I used to watch storms with him when I was a kid, and um, I was, uh, was thinking back when I was listening to this storm chaser talk about how he got in a tornado chase, and it was because his trailer park where he grew up got hit by tornadoes and later in life he wanted to chase tornadoes and one of my first memories um, of a storm is a lightning bolt that hit probably a couple hundred feet behind my house while I was out there watching it with my dad and it was so blinding bright and I still vividly remembered this day and I was probably seven and and so you know when I started getting into photography the first thing I wanted to shoot when I was when I was like 33 or so was light that's what drew me the storms and photography in general and so it's kind of interesting because I didn't, I didn't know that at the time that maybe that whole you know the whole birth of wanting to shoot lightning at the beginning came from like this you know incident when I was seven so um so I, I, I kind of like had this built-in passion for weather I um, my friends all said why aren't you a meteorologist you should go to school for it you're always telling people when storms are coming in you're always sharing radar and all this stuff and I never wanted to do that. I never liked the math. There's a certain point where it's too much for me. But um, 
but I started, but I was obsessed with lightning photos and started looking at them and wanted to get into it. And I got, I tried it myself, had a real cheap crappy camera, got a lightning bolt on it. I was absolutely hooked. And then, um, my, my wife said it was okay. And we sold all our DVDs and I bought a DSLR and the rest of the just keep from there. And so, you know, a lot of people kind of wonder what it takes to get into doing photography and stuff like this. What are your, your recommendations uh, if someone, you know, is really kind of like you were interested in taking photos, maybe lightning to start, how do they get into this? I mean, I think you've just got to go try it. Storms in general and lightning are so difficult um, to kind of shoot and to kind of teach people how to do. You have to experience it. That's why, um, you know, I do, I have a couple of monsoon workshops I do in the summer and you know, they're chasing slash learning because I could teach people for three days about the correct settings for lightning. And until you're out in the field and actually shooting it, it's, um, it's difficult to know what to do. And um, I get that question a lot, you know, hey, what are the right settings for lightning? And I'm like, um, where are you? Are you in the city? Are you in the desert? Is it, is it middle of the night? Is it dusk? You know, there's so many variables. So it's just something that's really hard. So I think, you know, you have to just go out and start doing it and see if you like it. And, and the only way that you're going to get really good at something is to, you know, really be kind of obsessed with it. I mean, I'm kind of addicted to this stuff. I've learned to have a little bit of a balance now, but the reason I got so good at it was that I never stopped doing it. You know, I, I, I kept going out every night, failing, getting stuff wrong, trying to get better and get better and get better and out to all hours. Um, never, you know, for me, if I'm out chasing a storm and there's lightning, um, I'm going to chase that lightning for the storm sky. I mean, even if I've had three great hours of lightning, if there's another good storm, I'm going to keep going because that's kind of, I think, the drive it takes to be able to really kind of get good at the stuff after a while. Well, I will say, Mike, your work is simply amazing. The, just the quality, what you put into it. And it just it tells me that you have to have, I mean, you have to know where to go. You have to know the science. You actually have to know meteorology on some levels or many levels, especially tornado. Um, the science behind tornado, tornadoes and supercells and these things that you film regularly, you have to have a good mindset and know where to find these. So tell us about how you have prepared and maybe done some research and studying to get yourself in the best positions for these storms. Um, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of it is, you know, there's a lot of instinct involved too, you know, out here in the, um, monsoon i mean i know enough about how it works i've been kind of watching and studying it forever out here it's even trickier than chasing tornadoes because you know if you're on a supercell you kind of know which way it's going and you know to stay on it for a while until it starts looking kind of crappy and then maybe go to a different storm but out here the storms pop up and then um you know drop the their downdrafts and rain and then the, the outflows create more storms you got to kind of know where to go kind of where are the next storms going to develop so um, I, for me, it's been a kind of an osmosis kind of, um, you know, journey the last 10, 11 years where I didn't know what I was doing at first. And out here early on, I had a friend who's like, hey, Mike, when you, um, you want to know where maybe there's going to be good storms, here's, here's what you look at. Here's a, a map on mesoscale analysis of the dew points and uh, surface base lifted index and a couple of other things. And I'm like, huh, this stuff is great. And so that was my friend Andy and he was kind of showing me stuff. I'm like, well, this is perfect. And it, and it helped me kind of at the very beginning of, of the, um, of learning this stuff of kind of some basic things to look at. And as I've gone along, I've, I've learned stuff on my own every, 
seems like every year I learn how to look at a QT uh, and all that stuff, and then I forget and I uh, win it. But I, uh, I've just learned I've had really good friends, you know, help me. This last year, um, I even even though I feel like I probably know enough to get on a good store. Like I don't, you know, what else do I need to know? I need to know a lot of stuff. There's so much to learn. And I was out with my my friend Brett Wright, helped me do tours this year. And I just learned so much from just having him along. He's like an amazing forecaster. And so I am continually learning and getting better and, and trying to understand more. But even then, you know, we all know, even if you know everything, and I know guys that, you know, they're experts. We all, we all um, pick the wrong storm or get on a, on a bus kind of day, and, and that's the way it goes. Um, but for me, it was just kind of like I need to – I really want to know enough to get me on these storms so I can photograph because, you know, I am still mainly in my brain a photographer. I love taking pictures of storms. I love sharing them with other people. Um, and I'm less a meteorologist, so I know enough, and I probably know way more than I give myself credit for, because um, I'm usually kind of down on myself about that. But, um, but I know enough to get me in position um, to take these pictures and do these time lapses. And, and the experience, you know, you can know all the meteorology you want, but you kind of need to be out there and realize and recognize where the right side of the storm is to be on. You know, I want to get this kind of photo. I need to know what direction it's going. I want um, to be in his path. I want to get this, or I want to get on the backside and do that. Um, or, you know, in Arizona, it's even more difficult, and you kind of have sometimes the storms, the structure's on a wonky side that we never see on the plains, but out here it's on, like, the northeast side of a storm and all this stuff. It's just, I mean, it's going a different direction. And so you kind of have to have, you know, a lot of experience to kind of start to really kind of nail down, you know, the best parts of a storm to photograph. Now, I, I kind of envision you as like Bill Paxson and Twister where you're holding the dirt. And... <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we, we really, um, I mean, hats off to you because you, you put the time and effort into doing that for your drive and passion for photography in the weather community. And it takes a lot of that knowledge to get there. So uh, hats off to Absolutely. you on that. You, you uh, want to chime in next? Mike, a, a question in regards to kind of how you do the photography, because a lot of what James is showing look like beautiful videos, but are they, they right. time-lapse photos you've taken and then put together? Yeah, all these, all these clips are, um, especially uh, this one we're watching now, these are all uh, 50 megapixel stills um, that are taken, you know, every second, every two seconds, every three seconds, depending on the length of the storm, and then put together, you know, into video, edited. You know, first, in, you know, I do a lot of editing in the Lightroom to get to kind of color grade it, then render it and, and put it together into a uh, kind of a little film and premiere. So, yeah, it's definitely not video. Uh, that would be, you have to have a pretty great uh, video camera to be able to do the kind of editing and color grading on this kind of footage. And, and since I'm shooting 50 megapixel, all these video clips are over 8K resolution which if I was to shoot with an AK video camera, that'd be all kinds of expensive that I don't have. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a definitely an interesting beast shooting time-lapse and doing these things because I struggle so much. You know, you gotta, you gotta pick the spot you want to be where you think is going to happen, where a structure might be or whatever you're after. And then you gotta hang in there. You gotta hope that you pointed the camera in the right direction. The storm is going right where you think it's going to go. And it doesn't always go that way. And you got to hope you set your interval right. You know, if it's, you go, oh, I only need to shoot every three seconds. And then all of a sudden you realize the storm's moving way faster than you thought. You should have been doing 
and that messes you up. And then you end up, you got to kind of hang in there for this stuff. You know, you can't shoot for a little bit of structure and then leave, you know, because these storms look better as they get almost hitting the camera. You know, especially dust storms in Arizona. You know, there's nothing on this video, but I shoot the, you know, the haboob, the dust storms out here, and I got to let them hit the camera. Otherwise, if you're watching this, you know, wall of dust from the camera and it stops, it's kind of like you're like, oh, like, where's the rest of it? And so you kind of got to sit in there and, and be patient and let it happen, and then, then you got to jump back in front of it if you can. And so that can really, that can be really tough. You got to, sometimes I'm like, I got to get this shot, and I'm going to sit here and get it till it hits me. And then I'm going to, and if I miss the rest, I miss the rest because this is the best, you know, I've seen the storm look or whatever. So it's a head game and it's really hard and it gets, um, it gets frustrating, but I freaking love it. How much do you have to adjust the camera settings uh, during a time lapse like that? Are you adjusting exposure, adjusting the shutter speed? Um, yeah, adjust the uh, shutter speed a lot. Um, almost on almost, I would say almost everything I shoot because, you know, the storm is a little further away if it's coming at you and it's going to get dark just the way it is, especially, you know, these big supercells. And so I've got to, uh, you know, I got to adjust the shutter speed and, um, and then I use LR time-lapse later to kind of balance it out. So there's a lot of, and I, and I usually am doing two time-lapse at the same time, uh, one with a really wide angle, one with a 50 or a 135 on there to get a different kind of view of the storm. And, um, and I'm also shooting stills with a third camera with a lightning trigger or whatever. And, uh, and so I've got to keep an eye on all of those, you know, as conditions change, as the storm's getting closer and it's getting darker, I got to go and adjust all those. And at the same time, of course, paying attention to what the storm is doing, what it's looking like on radar, what my escape options are. And uh, it's, uh, it's so fun. And it's, such a, it's such a crazy things like i'm doing so many different things at the same time sometimes i'm doing all that and i'm doing like a live facebook broadcast or something and i'm like how am i doing all this at the same time but you kind of start to come in you know second nature after a while um but yeah it's uh it's interesting and let me back up just a second you mentioned haboobs and so i wanted to kind of ask your experience with chasing in this in the desert right because i mean yeah. we see some some really amazing time lapses of haboobs coming across the desert. So, you know, we understand that's being kicked up, but even there you would have to know where to go to get those shots as well. And you being in, in uh, Mesa, Arizona and these areas and Phoenix, you're in a prime location for that. So tell us some of your experience with desert storm chasing. Oh, I mean, I, I love it. You know, it's funny because I, there'll be, uh, you know, every now and then I'll hear a little comment from someone Chaser tornadoes like, oh, those are nice rain showers you have out there, and um, and I'm like, man, it's so much more than that. And the desert is beautiful. The uh, you know the cactus, the mountains. You know we get great lightning out here because our storms are so high based, and get on a good storm where you're where it's hitting the side of a mountain, you see where it hits and stuff. I mean, it's just it's so much fun. And then. Um, and then the dust storms, you know, our, obviously supercells are, you know, ingesting air. You know, there's a lot of inflow in there unless, you know, until they become outflow dominant. But, um, but out here, all our storms are just, you know, strong downbursts that, you know, create great big outflow boundaries. And you kind of um, learn how to look at the forecast and predict. You know, there's, some, there's a couple weather models now that have, they'll show 10-meter um, winds, um, you know, a day or two ahead of time. And, you know, we, there's a couple of patterns, you know, like from 
storms will form between Phoenix and Tucson, and the outflow boundary will race northwest. And you know if it's a good, strong outflow boundary, that's the area that picks up dust. So you just go down there and wait. And if you get lucky and it's a great one, um, you can get you know, in front of a wall of dust. And then there's some other ones that I've learned that are kind of go southwest as the outflow boundaries come through Phoenix and move southwest. They go through Maricopa where it's just farms and dust everywhere. And they can be, I mean, they can be some of the best ones. And so a lot of that is just kind of, you know, experience and learning, you know, the patterns of, you know, how those form. And they can be tricky, you know. I had had people out here trying to film them, you know, for a month straight and get nothing because they just aren't happening. And then sometimes they're, you know, in 2018, they were a couple of just epic days, some of the best ones I've had. So they're, they're few and far between sometimes. They're tough to, tough to know if they're absolutely going to happen. But I love chasing the desert. It's a totally different beast. And I've had other chasers come out from the plains who've never done it before saying, this is hard out here. They don't do what you think they're going to do. And the road network is not as good. And um, so it's a challenge. Yeah, um, I always tell folks, especially when we get this awesome footage with these haboobs coming across, um, even for the coastline for our sea breezes, if you look at the structure, of a haboob and the structure of a sea breeze, they have a lot of similarities. So if you were oh, yeah. to actually take a sea breeze profile from the side and, yep. and you want to put color into it and say, what does that look like? Well, that's what it looks like. It has the same yeah. driven gravity currents behind it, guiding, you know, lifting everything. And, um, and it's just a great thing. I, I share that out, you know, in, in some of my presentations to say, hey, look, here's some, something from Michael Binsky here. He's got this really great time lapse of a haboob. And this is, this is what a sea breeze might look like. You know, in a, in a much slower environment, of course, much more slowly. Right, but that's what I—that's the—that's the same example I used um, that I or I have been using the last couple of years, telling people like, if you're out in the plains and you've got a shelf cloud coming at you, there's that outflow boundary underneath that you just can't see it out there. But in Arizona, it's like you know, brown food coloring has been you know scattered in the atmosphere, and you can see the outflow boundary. You know, like it's just been the outflow boundary has been like you know, colored. And it's insane because that's, that's happening all over the place on, on boundaries out in the plains and stuff, but you can't, you can't see them. So the dust out here just visualizes everything. And I love it when they're rolling across and you do see the clouds above it, you know, building up either a shelf or creating additional thunderstorms right overhead. I mean, it's magnificent. Have you ever seen two of them collide before? Yeah, I actually have. I know they haven't been like amazing, but I have. I actually, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I was out west of Phoenix, and I had one coming from the west and one coming from the east, and they just kind of, but they weren't like, wasn't like two monster ones. That would be pretty tough. I don't think I've ever seen like two epic ones collide. That would actually be, uh, that'd be a capture. I'd love it. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, I'm going to kick it over to Scotty. Yeah, thank you, Shay. Mike, uh, sorry I didn't get to say hello during our pre-show. My internet was That's going all right. out. How are you but, doing? Uh, good, good. Thank you for joining us. Um, you're talking about the tourist project, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, your path and my path crossed back in early, late May, early June. Uh, myself, Evan Fisher, who's not on tonight, and Chris Jackson, uh, we were out chasing near Tipton, uh, Kansas, where everybody else was kind of towards the Kansas City area with the big monster tornado there. We kind of hung back into central Kansas, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you were kind of in the area, so... Hate yeah, yeah. Thanks for the reminder of that. Day. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that, was, that, was uh, that was a crazy day. But um, 
We're talking about that. Do you have any memorable storm chases? I, I know that you've you've been able to do this um, for for quite a while. Any anything that really sticks out to you? Any memorable chases? Yeah, the tipping day was memorable for the fact that we uh, missed it because we were we overplayed. We went west to Russell Springs and and we could not keep up with the storm. We were in a van with tour guests. We could not go down dirt roads, so we knew where to go, and then we didn't. And then the wedge was on the ground, and we just. It was, um, you know, one of my favorite. I mean, I have so many favorites. You know, I saw a great dust storm in 2011 that really kind of, you know, here in Arizona, historic one. Um, I don't know. One of my favorites. Someone just asked me today about mem- the most memorable tornado, and for me, it's Windwood. Ninth. Um, oh my gosh, I don't know why I can't remember the date, but 2016, and that was I felt like my first real full-fledged tornado that I. And I mean, I've seen a couple others before, but not, you know, that close. And the Winniewood day was, it, it, it was meaningful for me because I had come out to chase on Mother's Day the day before. And that was really hard for me to do. I, I married um, 21 years now, three kids. And so I had the, I shot away on a Saturday, left right from the wedding, drove all night to Oklahoma and then busted. I mean, I watched a beautiful sunset with a couple friends out there and I'm like, why am I here? You know, this is just. Um, I should be home. It's Mother's Day. I should not have come. And I was feeling really down the dumps. And I started driving home the next day. And I got as far as Altus and stopped. And I was watching this airplane take off from this Air Force base. And talking to my wife on the phone. And I was like, I don't know what to do. She's like, you just got to go do what you got to do. And kind of gave me this little push. And so I knew convec- you know, it was about to come back in about two hours. Drove back. And as I'm back, wherever I was, west of Winniewood, the storm goes up. And I get on it. And tornado drops within like 30 something minutes, and it was just so memorable because I had just failed so miserably the day before, and here I am. I mean, I remember turning down a road as, as I'm trying to get a little further south on that tornado, and I turned down the road, and the tornado is right down the middle of the road, and the structure above it is just amazing, and um, and I was just full of you know absolute jubilee to kind of finally seeing what I wanted to see. And that so that was a really big and I want to get a tornado on time lapse and I got basically the last six minutes of Winniewood on time lapse, which was just some of my favorite tornado footage I've ever gotten. So that was it was just meaningful. I remember and I texted my wife a picture of it and said I did it, you know, or we did it or something and I was she said, I'm proud of you and I started crying in the car and I was live streaming. And people were like, Mike okay on the live stream and stuff, so that was a big, that was a real big deal. Because uh, I really enjoy your work and uh, follow you on Twitter. You were talking about kind of the highs and the lows. Um, yeah. I, I've only been storm chasing once, and that was this past year. I finally got to do it, and uh, oh. I'm hooked now. I really want to, really want to get back next year. But even for us, when we were out there, we had really good days, and then there was some days that kind of just, you know, we didn't get the right storm like you're talking about. Can you talk a little bit about that, the the highs and the lows of storm chasing? I know that you're you're pretty fortunate. You you get to go out for a pretty good long amount of time during the spring to do this. Yeah. You know, I actually have a video on YouTube on my YouTube channel called The Pain of Storm Chasing because um, – it's something that when you chase, you everybody suffers from it. And I am lucky and blessed that for the most part, I chase everything I want in the spring. Once, pretty much once May hits. I do wedding photography and family photography too, but I cut it off at the end of April. So sometimes in April, I might miss something if it's on a weekend and the storm's already 
but once May hits, I'm full time for until through August. And and it's just funny because you know this this you talked about the Tipton Day. So the day before was the Imperial Day, where we made we had a it was our first day of a tour that we did. We made every single decision perfectly right. We were on this initial storm. We got like a little. I don't know, bird fart tornado where the funnel came down and someone said they saw rotation in the ground. So we're like, got it, saw a tornado, um, saw some cool structure. And then we bailed on that storm because it was becoming all outflowy. And then like a cliff is right here. This was from that imperial day. And so we dropped off that storm, get in front of this new supercell and it turns into full-fledged mothership imperial. And we just were on cloud nine, you know, just, I mean, it was so, we're like, this is, we're king of the world right now. And then the next day was Tipton, and we went west. We should have just gone north and been patient. And then what ended up was, you know, an amazing wedge, and then tornado after tornado, and it took us 90 minutes to catch back up and get in front of it. And then by that time, it was all crap. And, you know, lucky for us, that awesome tour guest who could sense our frustration, and by the time we finally got to stop and take a break and get gas, like a few of them came up and gave me hugs, and I was kind of, like, teary-eyed about it. You know, I'm like, thank you for doing that, but I feel like such a failure today. So you go from feeling like you know exactly what you're doing to the next day where you're just utter trash. And the only good thing about failing in it is knowing that everybody else <laughs> goes through the same thing. Even though it doesn't always make you feel better, it can make you feel slightly better. And I, on that video that I said on, that I have on YouTube, I've got Pecos Hank on there, Brett, Daniel Shaw, um, a few others, and all sharing their memories of failures they've had. And so when you know, like, you know, legend like Pecos is like picked the wrong target and not doing what he wanted, you know, you're like, okay. Or, you know, there's a couple of years ago, June 12th, the Carpenter Day. I had been chasing 12 days, go home, come back, even though my family has barely seen me, just because that's the day I needed. And I get there and I, I went to Chugwater when I should have stayed at the border with Colorado and um, Wyoming. And all the structure happened, all these tornadoes, and I'm sitting there miserable. And then, and uh, I love Roger Hill, and he's amazing. I look down the road, and, and I'm outside my car, like beating my head against the door. And I look down, and I see Roger and his tour vans there. And I felt bad for him. I'm like, he's feeling just like me right now. I, at the same time, I was like, at the same time, like, but he's also here like me too. So if Roger can, can pick the wrong place like I did, then, then, um, you know, anybody can you know, mess up on any given day because he rarely would pick the wrong target. So I'm like, if I see him, I know I'm in the right place. So, um, so anyway, that's, um, that's how it can be incredibly frustrating. And it's, and it's really, it's really, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to cope with. And even though sometimes I feel like I've got it nailed down, I still remember that I missed the good one day, June 9th this year because I was gone. And I missed it and I'm, and I'm still upset about it. Hey, Mike, quick question for you. Do you ever feel like when you're out there and, and you get your shots, do you ever, are you ever completely satisfied and happy with your position and what you've gotten? Or is it, is it always like, I could be a hundred yards more there or half a mile up there or. Yeah, I'm never, I, I am rarely happy. Um, even so I have like two of them I can talk about the Tescott day a few years ago, we pull off where, in this field, wide open field, the first people there were shooting the storm. All of a sudden, I see a funnel, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys. And the tornado just drops. And it, but, it's, but in my head, even though I get the whole thing, I get it dropping, it gets rain-wrapped, and it's a wedge. And I pretty much get the entire genesis beginning to end of this wedge tornado. 
And I'm like, man, if I had been a mile closer, if I hadn't stopped my time lapse to pan right, I would have got the whole thing in one frame. And I'm like, I still like stick about that one wide angle shot that I got of it because I moved to pan the camera to the right after a little bit because I like, I don't know how far it's going to go. And of course, it by the end of that wide angle frame, it would have disappeared in the rain for the last time. And I would have got the whole thing from beginning to end on one time lapse. And, um, and so even though it was like amazing, I got a tornado before it started. I got it dropping and happening right in front of my eyes and getting basically the whole thing. I'm still not happy about it. And, and the Imperial Day last year, great day. But when we were chasing, I knew the structure was so amazing that I'm like, I have a van full of people and myself looking at the structure. We got to pull over. And see this. Like, I, I know that we just have to get out now. But I wanted to get to Imperial and go north so that it would be coming right at us. You know if you're on the northeast side of the storm moving right at you, in that little notch area, that's where you get that entire, like, mothership kind of look. And, um, and sure enough, I get all these great time lapses, and I see Brad Hannon's photos from right up there where I wanted to be, and they're just awesome. And so even though everybody's all so happy with such a great day, I'm like, yep, if I would have just gone where my told me I would have been happy. So I'm never happy, honestly. It just sucks. I, I got a little bit of that chasing. I was just like, man, you know, once you, like you said, you've been out there numerous times. And once you get to do it, for those who are listening or watching tonight live and you've never storm chased, once you, you do it, you get that itch and you're just like, man, I wish I could be closer and, and things like that. So definitely um, feel what you're feeling there. Um, one of my other questions for you, you've, you've been able to travel through the desert, through the Midwest. Um, any favorite spots you like to chase? I, I, I would say for me, I'm kind of wearing a shirt tonight, would be, uh, would be Eastern Colorado, just beautiful landscape. Uh, but what about you? Any, any favorite Dude, I places? Was just gonna, I was just going to say Eastern Colorado. <laughs> it's, it's, Eastern it's, Colorado, Western Kansas is magnificent. There's flat, there's decent gridded roads. Um, it, it can be incredibly green. Uh, you know, for me, it's funny because there's probably a lot of photographers um, there's a lot of photographers that are always looking for, you know, foreground. If they're a good windmill, if they're a barn, and I love that kind of stuff too, but I'm always looking for flat, dark foreground where my where I can be up high a little bit and the storm is like the star of the whole frame and I don't have anything in the way. And so eastern Colorado is magnificent. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, and for the most part, I would say Colorado is probably my favorite place to chase. But I mean, there's, I mean, it's so hard because Nebraska, I think I've gotten some of my best like structure in Nebraska, but it's such an incredibly difficult place to chase because of the sand hills. And anytime I chase out there, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I've um, jumped plenty of barbed wire fences to jump to get on top of a hill just to get a view of a storm because there's it's impossible out there. So um, it's um, pretty icing epic structure and storms in Nebraska. So, but I think eastern Colorado, western probably my ideal location. I agree. Those are great places. Um, and just one other thing I, I had before, I know Ricky's got a question about some of the stuff that you use. Um, I know you've been in desert Midwest. Have you, have you ventured anywhere else in the country, maybe the Southeast or anything like that to chase? No, I've pretty much, I mean, I've got most of the central U.S. covered from, I've gone to California uh, during the monsoon. Um, and New Mexico during the monsoon, but I've been as far south as um, the Great Bend National Park and all the way up almost into Canada in 2018. I thought I was actually going to chase Canada. 
um, but I did that day stayed south. But no, I haven't. I think I've chased in um, Minnesota, western Minnesota. So that's about, I think, the furthest east I've been. And I haven't, I, to me, you know, like I said, I'm looking for dark kind of flat foregrounds. And so once you go east of, like, Dallas, east of uh, Oklahoma City, I mean, I, there's spots of Oklahoma City that are good, or east of there that are good. But there's a weird kind of line that goes from Dallas to, like, the border of Oklahoma, Arkansas, up that once the trees start, I don't want anything to do with it. And for me, you know, if I was just chasing tornadoes and I want to get video of it, you know, I can understand all those guys that are like, wherever the tornadoes are, I'm going, because they can get footage of it on video kind of like no matter where it is. But for me, I need to be able to set up and be able to kind of see it happening. And, and so trees in the way is going to make it just going to frustrate me. Definitely. And, and, and for the most part, other than like, I've, you know, Central Illinois is great. I've wanted to go chase Central Illinois, but I've just, I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to make it out there. And I've seen some big structure out there. But the stuff in the Southeast, I've never seen, you know, there's tornadoes, but I haven't necessarily seen completely stunning photogenic supercells, at least not very many. Not like Eastern Colorado and, um, and that. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm a photographer. I'm looking for beautiful structure and light. Now, now, come on, Mike. You know, an awesome time lapse would be a Dollar General in <laughs> Alabama and a cool thunderstorm behind it. That's what we got to offer yeah. here in the Southeast. I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna say, listen, if you just want to do videography, we can hook you up with some. We got Shay that lives in Charleston. We can get you some hurricane coverage. I mean, <laughs> we, we've got, we've got plenty of places here in the Carolinas if you want to venture out here during hurricane season. Yeah, I almost went to um, Har. I almost was going to chase Harvey with um, a couple friends. I think Rigsby and Matt Golston were going, and they kind of said, you should come with. And But, I, you know, I was too worried about getting stuck for a few, day, for a few days, and I think I had stuff coming up. I don't want to get stuck out there, but I kind of wish I had. Uh, I haven't done a hurricane yet, but I'm sure I will at some point. Yeah, if we went out to the coast here, we would be glad to have you here in Charleston for uh, the next oh. one. This is a, a, a really nice stop that uh, a lot of folks come through. Awesome. I'll do it. <laughs> we, we kind of talked about gear a little bit earlier. Uh, you mentioned how you kind of shoot a telephoto lens and also a wide angle lens. Is there anything you, you carry along for weather data when you're out in the field? Um, I mean, I have a lot, or a, I had a laptop for a while, Mac, a MacBook Pro, but now I'm using a Surface um, with a VR level three. I really like that. Um, it's kind of my favorite. It's a little more, I don't know, if you see roads on it better. It seems it's a little more, um, Precise of where your location is compared to you know the storm and all that um, than radar scope. But I use radar scope on my phone as well, and um, gotten gotten used to using my phone too with you know meso analysis page. And when um, I in the surface, um, I like the surface now because it just takes up less room in the truck. And, um, and so we'll use that. But I don't have any of the like a weather station or anything like that on the roof. So I just kind of keep it simple. I think if people saw my chase vehicle, they'd be, they'd be disappointed in the amount of stuff in it. I don't have GoPros everywhere and a Davis Standard View on the roof. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I used to carry, you know, for me, a lot of this stuff is, if it gets too complicated, then it stops becoming fun and I start messing up. You know, I used to, I, you know, I got a Phantom 4 or something to take along. I'm like, oh, I got to probably start droning because people are droning, so I probably should do that. And then I'm out there trying to get two time lapses going. I got a drone in the sky, and I'm like trying to shoot lightning. I'm like, if this storm gets here and hail starts falling, how am I going to pack all this up and land a drone at the same time? So I sold that thing. Just not, 
I'm going to let Brandon Clement do the drone. <laughs> how many, uh, how many batteries do you carry? Oh, I probably got, um, probably got 10 batteries for the Canon and th and I think only two for the, I have a Sony A7R three I shoot with, but I have, you know, power in the car and I've got, you know, a Canon and a Sony charger in the back. So anytime a battery gets low, I just swap it out and start charging it while we're driving. So I never, I've never gotten close to running out. I've probably gotten closer to running out of memory cards than I have like batteries. Mm -hmm. Mike, question. We're talking about gear here. You know, we've yep. gone 1080p to 4k, right? I mean, the resolution yep. is getting better and better. What does that mean for you? Like if, if someone in, in, in the audience here doesn't understand just the difference between 1080 and 4K, and then also how much data does that take up? I mean, you're talking probably gigs of space when you render into 4K, but the quality is so much better. So how, how do you kind of navigate those waters? I mean, how much memory do you have to have to do it? And, and um, how long does it um, take? I mean, well, so for me, I'm shooting the, the time-lapse or 50 megapixel stills. So you know, for me, if I have a good day, like the Imperial day, I probably shot 600 gigs that day, um, just for one, one day. And, um, because I was, we also started chasing about 12 noon on the first storm and didn't get done until 10 at night. Like it was one of those days where we were chasing for 10 hours and some days you chase for two, you know, and you've got a hundred and you got maybe 50 gigs of stuff because it was a crappy day. So, um, so they kind of, you know, balance each other out, but that's, you know, that's just, you know, the memory cards and then doing the, and I render everything that I shoot into full resolution, which is, you know, 8,600 pixels wide. So that's about eight and a half K. So my, for most of the time, my, my fully rendered clips, you know, start around six or seven gigs just for a short one and go up to 30, 40 to 50 gigs, depending on if it's, you know, like 30 seconds long or a minute long or something like that. So it's a lot of, this space. I probably got 50 something terabytes of stuff at home backed up and on the cloud. And I don't need all that. Probably I should have deleted stuff by now. And if I was way better at um, going back and getting rid of things, which I've been trying to do, um, I, it's all just stuff I probably don't need, but that's how much I've shot over like the last 10 years. Um, but for me, the resolution is real important because I'm shooting everything at 8k. I'm using the uh, 50 megapixels and I got some good lenses where they can actually resolve all those pixels and I can you know I can take one of these time lapses and put it in a 4k film and zoom in you know 50% and it's still sharp and so these these clips can be used I mean they're good enough to be used on IMAX screens and, and all this kind of stuff so for me those pixels really matter I know some people are like well 8k is never gonna really be a thing it's gonna be really hard it's for everybody to have 8K TV, it's not going to be much better than that. But for me, all that stuff is super important because people are going to use um, these kind of things, uh, this kind of resolution for multiple things. I mean, I can just, like I said, I can take a, a full clip and cut it in half and just do part of the frame. You know? So it can pan, and the video can pan while I'm doing stuff because I've got all that resolution to work with. I just I can't even imagine how long it takes to upload into YouTube. <laughs> well, those the final films are only like a gig or so, so they're not like gigantic. And I do have one of the uh, the high speed, but it's still only thirty. I only get thirty megabytes to upload per second, so um, it's worse when I'm uploading a full clip to someone for licensing. It's like a thirty gig file, and they need that. It's gonna take a while. So 
Wow. Well, Mike, Mike, uh, I know you're still needing to get home, so we'll, we'll try to to uh, to close up shop here in just a second. Uh, my last question for you: um, you, you you've been doing this a lot. You said you you know you got into a little bit of drone um, chasing and things like that. What's the future look like for you? I mean, what any any major goals, anything like that coming in the next couple of years from you? Or I don't know. I've never. I I suck at goals, so I just go I fly by the seat of my pants kind of thing and so this is always a question that plagues me because I probably should have goals what do I where do I want to go but I think the thing is, is I'm doing what I love right now and it's working um, and, and doing it full-time and doing it full-time for over five years now and um, you know with the wedding and portrait side of this shoot and I don't know where I see myself. I'm, and it's, and it's kind of, um, it's kind of a tough thing. I will say, you know, I'm, you know, artist or photographer, and I, and most artists hate their own work. I hate saying the word artist, by the way. I don't like calling myself that. But most artists, they hate their own work almost immediately after they post it or they share some. So all these videos I do, I end up going like, well, I don't like it after a while, or how am I going to top that? Because I, I put so much effort into that. You know, I did my first vorticity film where I finally got tornadoes on there and it took, you know, the whole year to get. And then I did Pursuit and it took a whole year to get. And I'm like, man, I can't top this anymore within one season. I need to do something better. So for Vorticity 2, which you're showing right now, I waited two years to put a film together. So I got two years worth of footage for this one film. So now what do I do? So now I'm like at ground zero and do I wait two years to do one? Is it going to be a really good season? I don't know. I wait three years and put out a film that is like just chock full of just, and that's what I try to do here with Vorticity 2 was like to have only the best stuff. I have so much stuff in the cutting room floor that um, didn't make it that is probably decent. <laughs> so I was just trying to put the best stuff in there. So, so my goal is, I think, is just to keep getting better and do what I do. I love going out there and um, having, I don't know, just being out there and doing it and seeing what, seeing what happens. So, um, I'm just not good at goals, so I wish I had a better answer for you. <laughs> well, listen, I think uh, I can speak for all of us. Um, keep doing what you're doing because you, you produce really great work, and we enjoy um, seeing the pictures and the, and the videos and the tweets, so uh, we certainly appreciate the work and the effort you're putting into it. If, if our followers who are watching tonight or our listeners uh, who are on the podcast want to learn more about you and where they can find your work and stuff like that. How can they do that? Um, you can look at my name and that's pretty much how I do everything. Uh, Mike Olbinski.com and uh, my name, that's my name on Instagram, Twitter and Michael Binsky photography on uh, Facebook. And then, yeah, Michael Binsky and for YouTube and Vimeo too. I try to, and I have a Patreon page too where I kind of will do some um, extra stuff, wallpapers, uh, tutorials, and things like that for people that are kind of supporters. And, um, but yeah, my name will pretty much get you everywhere. During the during the storm season, I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter, and that's a good way to follow follow the action of when we're out chasing what I'm kind of what I'm seeing the current you know current situation wherever I'm at, especially you know. When I'm in Arizona, I try to do that a lot to help the National Weather Service here, you know, that storms are rolling and what's going on. So that's probably where I'm mostly um, active, especially during storm season. Well, Mike, thank you for spending some time with us tonight. And uh, we're going to.
talk a little bit about the upcoming weather. So if you want to stick around, please do. But I know you probably want to get back home. So if you need to jump off, uh, you can do that too. And we just want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And hopefully uh, maybe we can reconnect next year and you can tell us about uh, your adventures in the Plains Chasing next year. Absolutely. And thank you guys for having me on. It's been a blast. Um, Merry Christmas to you all. I, I wish you the best of luck with all the uh, – this stuff in your season in the podcast i'd love to come back and especially after the season and and especially scotty you get to go out again and we get to talk about how you're you know every year is different every year is fun so that's what's cool about you have all these stories from this year and next year's 2020 so i mean who knows what's gonna happen that's right man if, if we can do that maybe we can link up and and grab something to eat or something while we're out out Absolutely. in the place all right mike Absolutely. thank you so much uh we we appreciate your time and we'll be in touch all right all right, and that's uh, Mike with us. Uh, please go check out his website. He's got some great stuff there. Uh, you want to check out uh, his Twitter feed as well. He's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, I really love, Scotty, when people join us from their cars because I, so oftentimes, like Mike, it speaks to the fact that that's one of his primary workspaces. That's, that's right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Mike, we're going to do a couple of uh, weather headlines, and uh, if you want to kick it around with us, you're certainly welcome to, or as Scotty said, uh, if you need to get out and home, we totally understand, too. But uh, um, also, Scotty, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's nothing here behind me. I am in a very barren, I'm in the desert of a a bedroom tonight. I know, but I've, you know, for those who may not know, James has relocated, but uh, I hear you've got this new office that's going to be... kind of put yes. together over the next few days or new yes. few weeks sorry few weeks next next few weeks uh, right there's nothing set up there but if you are a loyal watcher or viewer of our show you know that a lot of times i'm scrunched up in a tiny little space uh in a very warm space uh because there wasn't a lot of airflow and so i'm very much looking forward to having all of this extra room behind me but <laughs> that is that is to come soon uh we, Scotty, we expect weather maps behind you though james you know like I'm I'm calling this the map room. It's not James's office. It's called the map room. So, Mike, if you've got any good maps that look really good framed, (laughs) let me know. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple weather headlines, Scotty. I know we've got these uh, pulled up, and I'm I'm looking off here to the screen on my left. But uh, in just about four hours, no three hours at this point, just under three hours. Uh, the last full moon of the decade. I forgot for a moment that we're, we're running out of decade here in the 2000s. Hard, hard uh, to believe that. I was, another one. I was, I was reflecting over that today. I was like, I can't believe that we are almost finished with right. the 2000. Two, two decades here in the yeah. 2000s coming into 2020. Anyway, the last full moon of the decade will occur at 12, 12 a.m. Eastern time. That is when it peaks on what is December the 12th. It's called a cold moon, by the way. The moon will appear full all night. Uh, Again, just peaking at that 12-12 moment. First, becoming visible in the east with a saffron color twinge as it climbs just above the horizon. I, at this point, don't even know which direction's out this window. That's how long I've been here in this spot. Mm, I don't know. Which way's north? Just guess. Yeah, just guess. Uh, east. That's that's northwest. That's uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Speaking of up north, you hear we got some cold weather coming in the area, right? 
I do. Yeah, we got cold weather here. You know, we were in the 70s for a brief moment of time. I think we maybe just scraped into about 70-degree observation here in Charlotte yesterday, and then the bottom fell out. And depending on where you're watching or listening from, you probably had the same experience where we climbed up. It was rainy. It was cloudy. It wasn't a beautiful sunny day or anything, at least in my neck of the woods here. And then that cold front came on through. The rain moved in. The wind kicked up a little bit. The temperatures dropped down. Although, I will say... When I came out of work today, I think it was in the 40s, uh, and I thought to myself, this isn't bad. This is nice. It's comfortable. It's seasonable. 34 right now in Charlotte. Yeah, it's um, it's 30 here in the foothills, but I experienced a flash freeze this morning. You know, we, we've kind of tossed around that term from time to time, but uh, as James said, that cold front moved through. We had rain showers on and off all, overnight. When I came out this morning... You know, I took my dog out. I, was, I don't know. It was about Good five. Man. Yeah, it was about five a.m. I mean, she just got up and it was cold. But then when I went back out around seven thirty, seven forty-five to head to work, my car doors still had like rain, you know, left on the yeah. vehicle from yep. where, and and everything was froze. Like I couldn't get the car, my Jeep door open or anything. So from five to like seven thirty, we dropped below freezing by a couple of degrees, and everything had iced up. So. Well, and that's going to be our problem on Friday is we're in the kind of this wet, gloomy pattern, and we're going to have from late Thursday into Friday morning, kind of just like you described uh, here in the last 12, 24 hours, uh, we're going to have another round of wet precipitation that, depending on where you are, uh, could result in more uh, flash freezing, maybe some sleet and wintry mix uh, accumulations, and, and maybe even some ice accretion in the higher elevations such as Boone and Blowing Rock. And uh, Scotty, you've got uh, Dr. Levon uh, Cowan's website, right? Yes. Yeah, um, so, now Tropical Tidbits, but walk us through what we're looking at here. Yeah, so let, let's do this. We're going to kind of start large scale, and then we'll go small scale. What's going to happen? This is the GFS. And what we're watching is this high pressure that's situated over Pennsylvania. Uh, we're going to watch as we go over the next few, um, I'm sorry, over the next few hours um, through Thursday, this high pressure is going to continue to move like off of the Pennsylvania uh, into New Jersey and New York coast. And what's happening is we all who live here in the Carolinas know when we have high pressure situated over the Northeast with the clockwise flow that brings that cold air or the cold air damming the wedge, whatever you want to call it, uh, that moves the colder air into our area. So as that happens, I'm going to go back to our Southeast region and we're going to go to um, the NAM model, which is kind of a little bit more um, uh, closer in time. And so as that high pressure is over the northeast, it's pumping that cold air into uh, western North Carolina, upstate South Carolina. As you can see, by uh, Thursday night after midnight into Thursday morning between, we're, we're saying between midnight and noon Friday, uh, we could see some light freezing rain sleet develop in the area. So this is around um, this is around 6, 7 a.m. in the morning. You can kind of see these pinks and purples and stuff showing up in western North Carolina, and that's the showing where the possibility of some sleet, freeze, and rain will develop. And as it develops, let me go back because we are running out of time there. As it develops, you can really see over the Interstate 40 corridor between Asheville and Greensboro, uh, we definitely could see this freeze and rain um, situation. Now, uh, Mike mentioned a little bit earlier in the show about skew T plots. So we're going to pull that up. And here's why I don't think it's going to be too, 
too bad of a, a, a deal. I mean, freezing rain is definitely treacherous, but the temperatures are going to be pretty marginal. I don't know if you guys can see that, but that says 31 degrees. So, you know, the temperature is going to be right around freezing. We don't, we're not going to see temperatures like in the mid-20s, upper 20s, where we could really get encased in ice. But they're marginal enough as we go throughout the morning Friday that we're going to see some freezing rain develop over the area. And as that happens, let me pull up this model. Hopefully you guys can see this. This is kind of an ensemble model. And what we mean by that, it's kind of like all the models we get, we kind of blend them together and it gives us an output of what to expect. So you can see anywhere between a trace to a tenth of an inch of ice is possible between Asheville up into the Greensboro area and even up into Boone um, and up into Southwest Virginia. So again, this isn't going to be a major ice storm, but I think it's going to be icy enough that we could see some travel concerns, especially along Interstate 40 between Asheville to Winston-Salem, Greensboro, and up into the North Carolina mountains. Now, this isn't going to be an ice storm that causes major power outages, but those elevated bridges, overpasses, sidewalks, railings, just kind of that stuff that freezes up pretty quickly. Uh, that's where I think we'll see the issue. So that's, um, James, really uh, what we've been talking about. This isn't uh, going to be anything major in my opinion, but as we get into December, into January, February, we start to talk about winter weather. And so this is kind of the first real big shot outside of the mountains that uh, places in the Carolinas could see a little wintry mess. Yeah, that's right, because we did have some snow in the uh, western North Carolina mountains, higher elevations earlier in the week, but uh, this will really be, uh, like you said, the introduction to that winter weather in the foothills, maybe even parts of Greensboro, Iredale County. Uh, it should, for the most part, miss the Charlotte metropolitan area, which is good news for all the people who live there, including myself. But, um, Scotty, you actually went on record today with newspapers in Hickory and, and Iredale <laughs> County, I think, to talk about this exact storm. Yeah, we, we were able to do some interviews with the Hickory Daily Record, Statesville, um, the Iredale County uh, newspaper, um, and, and, you know, just kind of just an awareness, hey, if you're traveling, could there be delays Friday morning for school systems along the Interstate 40 corridor? I definitely think that's a possibility, um, but like I said, it's overall not going to be a major deal, but this is kind of get everyone in the mood that, hey, we are entering the winter season. And this is about the time of the year where we start to see snowstorms and ice events occur. Uh, looking long range at the model, which we were kind of talking about in our internal chat yesterday, James. The models are <laughs> point painting all kinds of crazy scenarios. Um, but right uh, now, let's, let's just yeah. deal with what we got Friday, and then we'll worry about that later. Cue the show with Tim Buckley. That's um, right. Yeah, you know, I'll say this about the models. So we've talked about it many times here before on this show, and we are not going to show something to you that's 12, 15, 20 days out. Uh, it's December into January. It's winter weather time. And so certainly enough, yes, the models uh, are, are trying to hint at some possible winter weather over the next coming weeks. Will it happen? We don't know. You, you know as well as we do at home that after about three days, we can tell you the weather tomorrow, the next day, and the day after that. And we do a pretty good job with the days that follow and then it kind of, you know, accuracy decreases after that. Um, I will say that the winter weather that we're seeing on Friday was teased by the models two weeks ago. The timing changed, the amplitude changed. Uh, the location was about right. Um, so, you know, it, it gets refined and the technology is getting better to where we can look at something two weeks out and say, okay, that's not 
exactly what's going to happen, but it's worth watching. We might get something like that. It's kind of like, it's just like, hey, let's pay attention to this time frame and just see how things evolve. And, um, yeah. you know, statistically, it tells you January, February, obviously, is the, the most wintry time, snowy, ice, whatever you want to call it, uh, here in the Carolinas. But um, it does, you know, uh, I think responsible meteorologists, forecasters like us, we see that thing, those model outputs, you know, uh, 10, 15 days out. And we just kind of talk about it internally, keep it in the back of our mind. But until, like James said, until you kind of get in that five to seven day period, you know, it, it's just a roll of the dice, you know, and then we can kind of fine tune the forecast once we get five, seven days out. So Are you trying to tell me the snow that I see behind you right now is not real snow? It's not real snow, but this was the picture a couple of years ago in December, you know, yeah. back, we've had back to back uh, snowfalls in North Carolina the past two Decembers, so you know, could that so you're dreaming of a white Christmas is what I'm, you're saying. I'm saying there's a storm system that's possible the weekend before Christmas. We'll just we'll have to well, see. We'll see. Stay tuned. <laughs> I will tell uh, you this. I will tell you this. And I told the newspapers this as well. We're definitely, James, as you know, you know, you, you work in there at WCNC. We're definitely in an active storm period. So we've got that going. If you're a winter weather lover, you've got the, the active yeah. storm track. We're, we're in just, that jet. We're in that flow. Yep. Things are traveling through here. It's like the storms are coming, you know, they, they're deciding to take 85 as opposed to taking. Yeah. I don't, I don't actually know interstates that run through Ohio. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all you need now is, is a cold air supply. And, and we know that's the story. Uh, that's right. If you remember nothing else from the Tim Buckley, David, uh, Brad Panovich show, it's that we need the cold air here before the precipitation not the other way around. And uh, that's, speaking, what we're, that's what we're getting Friday morning with the, the cold air damming kind of setting up tomorrow uh, evening that we're going to have that, that shallow, cool, cold layer of air. So, wedge. Uh, the dreaded wedge. It'll probably yeah. be 60, 70, maybe coastal South Carolina. You know, it's just that, that big of a disparity. I think it was, what was it yesterday? You were talking about the warmth in Charlotte. It was 82 yeah. or 83 in Columbia. They set like a record high for the day. So, Jeez. Yeah. Um, I just want to get this in. It's a little bit of a hard turn, but you did mention WCNC. We, we had this story on that platform at the start of December. December the 1st, a bunch of new laws uh, went into effect, and there was one uh, weather-related new law that has taken effect in North Carolina uh, that we're going to tell you about, and I will preface it by saying I think, Scotty, we're preaching to the choir. I don't think anyone who's watching or listening to our show, I hope. We hope, we hope not. We hope not. This doesn't apply to you because you would never do this in the first place. But it is now a misdemeanor for drivers to go around roadblocks set up because of flooded roads such as those during a hurricane. Turn around. Don't drown. We see it all the time. Every year. Every year yeah. we see flooding. It seems like we hear, you know, these deaths that occur because people – uh, try to get through these these flooded roadways. And James, you know, we say it all the time. It doesn't matter how big of a vehicle you have. Rushing water can has a lot of power and force behind it. And they can just not, you know, and plus you don't know if the road's there. The road may have caved away with all the flooding. So. I'm going to tell a brief story. It's going to make me sound like an idiot. But you're right. You don't know the depth of that water. And it happened to me yesterday walking through a parking lot 
I stepped into a much deeper puddle of water than I realized because I couldn't tell how deep the water was. And I thought, well, there you have it. My foot's wet and that's, you know, the worst of this scenario, but it's a micro example. Yeah. Just find a, I'm sure there's another roadway to, to travel on to get to where you need to go. Just don't, don't drive around barricades. They're there unless for a reason. Unless it's like NC 12. Yeah. Well then, you know, <laughs> then you just got to ride out the storm, that's, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother ball of wax. Uh, hey, why don't you tell everybody what's coming up next week? It's going to be uh, another yeah. big week here at the Carolina weather group. Yeah. Last show of the decade. How about that? Ah. There, yeah. The last show of 2019, we're going to have uh, a guest who we've had on a, a couple of years ago, Mr. Jim Cantori. I think I've heard of him. Yeah, you may have heard of him. Maybe. We're going to get down to the bottom of the story, where he was, where uh, he was located during uh, the hurricane season this year. You know, we okay. had, that's um, uh, coming, my mind's going blank. What was the hurricane we had a brush with? Dorian? Dorian, yeah. Uh, you know, Dorian. We, we could never locate Jim Cantori, you know, he never popped up on the map as like, here I am. So we're going to see if we can get out of him. Where was Jim Cantori during Hurricane Dorian? And all of the other events that's happened in 2019. We're going to kind of close out with a weather review, not only of the Carolinas, but of the entire country, some of the major uh, weather stories that um, that's like, got the national attention over the uh, the past year. So always look forward to uh, to meeting up with Jim Jim Cantore, he's always got some some good stories to tell, and I, I know it's going to be a great interview. Looking forward to that one, and that again with coming to you next week live on the social media platforms of the Carolina Weather Group: Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Periscope at eight fifteen p.m. Eastern time, or you can find us the podcast version of our show. Take us with you for your holiday travels on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, James. I know you don't have this problem, but maybe your in-laws are coming in and they're talking and you just kind of want to like get away. Perfect time to just pop on the Carolina Weather Group podcast and you know, catch up on your weather. weather ah, so, yeah. That's right. Tell your in-laws you're busy. You're yeah, I'm busy. I'm, I'm doing something out in the garage or out you know, in the office or something. I'll, I'll be back in a couple of hours. So. Works for me. <laughs> well, we hope you guys have a great weekend, and we will see you back here next Wednesday night with Jim Cantori. And as always, feel free to uh, message us. Any suggestions of guests or topics, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that at Carolina WX Group or send us a Facebook message. Until next week, have a great weekend. And if you're in the, uh, the western part of North Carolina, be safe on Friday as we can see a little bit of ice. See you later. <laughs>